0: Like a blinding mushroom cloud targeted right at your ear holes. Shield what's left of your senses. We are the portable nuke mortar of Pirate Vox Airwave 665.66 UHMR Chemrat Radio. Broadcasting live tonight from the Hangnail, the Underhive's only true public house.
1: Speaking of being blinded by the light, did you guys know? You guys know you're not supposed to eat the purple glowing mushrooms. Just what? Me. In other what? news, the Administratum released a public health warning last week.
2: <laughs> Rewind there. You mean <laughs> you mean you mean the ones we've been snacking
1: on? Oops. A warning of temporary blindness caused by those little fungi. Too bad they <laughs> grow so fast during these heat waves. Num num num. You know what they say? All mushrooms are edible once. Only some are edible twice. That's a good piece of advice for eating mushrooms, Marky.
2: I thought it was all all goons lean to Rome. All goons
0: lean to Rome.
2: (laughs) Barbaric in
0: all things involving the soothing and loving glow of blue plasma, I am your host, Goblin King. Joined by a man thundering down the catwalks of life, at least since we don't let him navigate anymore, it's Marky. I bring the thunder from down under. (laughs) And joining us by Long Range VoxCast, it's the crack shot of the ice wastes himself.
2: Kev? Hey, that's me. <laughs> How
0: are those ice wastes today?
2: The ice wastes are actually quite warm uh, to the point <laughs> where it I was afraid it might melt a little bit. Ain't that about a bitch. So, But the sun went down, so we good. Ice wastes I, are ice as usual at this a- a- point.
1: okay again.
2: <laughs> yeah, we good. There is no extra moisture action going on. It is quite dry still.
0: (laughs) Welcome to episode 71 of Under the Hive of Madness. This marks the first of several episode series where we will focus our attention on the rise of the Imperium in the 30K timeline. This is also our first official episode of Under the Hives of Madness for season three, year three. We did... Last week, to our first official episode of Under the Realms of Madness, for oh no, I guess it wasn't. It wouldn't be the official. Under the Realms of Madness is still in its first year. Never mind. Yeah, Under but, the Realms is um, new. Yeah. That's Under the our Realms new show. New if you show. Don't know, now you know. <laughs> and if you listen to this show, you're going to hear that show at least for a while because we record them in tandem rather than on a separate day. But as things develop, we'll figure that out. So what do you guys, uh, what's everybody's barometer? What's everybody's level? We've leveled the playing field. We've cleared everything off the desk. Ignore the notes, the production notes, and the production meeting. Ignore all of that and just give me your thoughts on what the Unification Wars were. This, by the way, is Unification Wars Part 1 is the title of today's episode.
1: So I know it has something to do with Space Marines. I know that. I,
0: I can confirm that space marines are involved eventually.
1: Okay, good.
0: Oh, eventually. <laughs> that's new. That's new. You know about the uh, Unification Wars. Your boys, the Thunder Warriors, come from this period of time.
1: I know of them, yes.
3: You
0: know they're your <laughs> boys, and you know that they
1: exist, and that's it? <laughs> that's about it. That's, that's like, like most things in life. <laughs>
0: there you go. There you go. What about uh, you, Kev?
1: What are, what? Oh,
0: sorry, Marky. Go ahead.
1: No, 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 I was going to say uh, I know that it uh, it was the rise of the emperor essentially claiming the throne, something along those lines, right? Yep. Yeah, this is the time that he unifies Terra and claims
0: the throne of humanity.
1: Yeah, I know it's fairly similar to, uh, uh, I'll, uh, somewhat similar to the covenant in Halo when they essentially created the Spartans to uh like better the police the universe yeah the unsc created the spartans to better police the universe and it just so happened that the covenant attacks after they finished that project so instead of <clears throat> using the spartans to uh beat the shit out of pirates and other humans they are used to beat the shit out of the covenant
0: except for the first two missions of reach where you're literally fucking with human farmers for some reason
2: no, it's it's. I mean, the, the covenant
0: first... attacks pretty fast, but <laughs> it's you don't even
2: you don't even get to kill humans. You show up to fight humans, oh, that's right. and the covenant show up there to fight instead. humans, and
0: the covenant's there. That's right, that's right. The <laughs> very first mission, but they talk a lot about how you're going to go beat up farmers. Oh yeah, yeah. That whole, scene. The, now that, that I whole, think about it,
2: the whole like way through, they're like oh yeah, these guys aren't even going to fight back. This is going to be easy. We're going to be done in like an hour, right? (laughs) It's
0: the scene from Aliens. It's literally the scene from Aliens where they're all bitching about the bug hunt. And there is some Mm -hmm. other movie or some other uh, that we talked about really recently that I was like, oh man, if I I take a step back and look at it, it's just the plot of Aliens. I can't remember what it was. God, it's going to bug me now. It'll come to me tomorrow. I'll be like, God damn it. A bunch
2: of movies follow that kind of same plot set up. Yeah, they
0: they very much the the aliens plot set up.
2: Like, well, this is always down. it's always military oh, goes oh, in oh, oh, thinking oh. it's going to be easy because yeah. the military is always overconfident and then it turns out it's not. Should have listened yep. to the scientist/civilian yeah. who saw the shit go bad and was basically your best witness that you ignored yeah. the whole time. Turns out they were right. They do what they thought should have been done. Save the day! Oh, look! Guess who was actually right? Yeah, <laughs> end exactly. of end of movie. Dun dun it dun! Was, uh, or was it? There's a sequel. Should have just nuked the whole planet from orbit. <laughs> right. It was Army of the Dead. It's <laughs> not we always re, the answer.
0: We rewatched Army of the Dead, and I realized that Army of the Dead is, at its essence, the plotline of Aliens. I like Army of the Dead a lot. It's like the seventh or time I've watched it. But I realized, like, like down to. There's the dude who's only there to get zombie DNA so he can turn zombies into a bioweapon. I'm like, this is alien. Like, it You're was right. at that point that I was like, no. oh, fuck, this movie is aliens. <laughs> You're right. It totally is. The one it's with totally Batista? Funny. Yeah. Watch it again. Watch Aliens. Yeah. And then watch Army of the Dead and tell me I'm wrong.
2: <laughs> it's, it's, are, it's aliens disguised like, as a heist.
0: There's a person. Who has to spend more than half the movie getting the helicopter ready? That's Bishop. Bishop has to spend all this time getting the helicopter ready. There is a scene where they have to.
2: I mean, to be fair, it takes like a the solid and... five minutes to start a fighter jet, like just a modern yeah. fighter jet. Just to start one takes like five yeah. minutes.
0: <laughs> but it, it it just it just it. I mean, it's not beat for beat, obviously. But like you could, yeah. I can make the I I could make a it's funny that argument. it
2: it takes so long for him to get the thing ready. <laughs>
0: But anyway, um, okay, so, <laughs> Kev, Unification Wars, C-way. Blank Slate, give me your, your feels.
2: So, uh, I've been predisposed to already of researching it a little bit. Um, also, one of my favorite things about the Unification Wars, kind of my little pre-knowledge, is that this is the time when the Emperor goes to Mars yep. to make the pact. Yep, it isn't. It, it isn't. It isn't like way later. This isn't like during the Crusade. He's like, oh man, I should make friends with these people. Like he knew from the way way beginning, and so he did all that. He made all that effort to go to Mars. Like you know, when space travel wasn't really a thing. Yeah, one hundred percent. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. It in general, it, it is the emperor going from n- not existing, quote unquote. You know, right according to history. And that is when he becomes the emperor. He goes from whatever you, you know, whatever name he was going by before that. Or if you don't even really know, because that's a part of that lore isn't really written. But yeah, it's uh, but that's that's when the emperor becomes the emperor, essentially, and unites the tribes and of men fighting the techno barbarians in the in the Mad Max portion of Mm -hmm. Terra's history.
0: This is 100% the Mad Max episode.
2: <laughs> it's it's funny. It's like humanity goes all the way through all the phases. You got Star Trek, Star Wars, back to Star Trek, then it goes Mad Max.
0: <laughs> and then it goes Balls Out, what the fuck is going on insanity.
2: And then and then it goes yeah, straight to the abyssal abyssal yeah. depths of monstrosities.
1: Is that a female guess... Thunder Warrior? No, that's a male Thunder Warrior. That fool, is sexy as hell. <laughs> you just like <laughs> him thick.
2: Wow,
0: wow, Marky.
1: <laughs> so uh, if
0: you're wondering what Marky's reacting to, if you join us on Patreon for either 3 6 or $9, you can watch a video component where we bring up some images related to the topic we're talking about, including a big map of the Unification Era planet, which we'll get back to. We had it up for a while, so we moved away from it, but we'll come back to it. The unification wars he's a huge fucking guy.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the unification <You're>
0: wars <laughs> The unification wars began sometime in the late 29th millennium, marking the beginning of the end for the Age of Strife and lasted until 712.M30. It was during this conflict that the Emperor of Mankind first publicly revealed himself to humanity. This revelation came at a time when humanity on Terra was at the brink of destruction. With his revelation, the emperor began a conquest to unify the techno barbarian states and the tribes into what would become the
1: Imperium of Man. And this is like right after the Age of Strife, correct?
0: This is happening as the end of the Age of Strife happens. So the end of the age, the Age of Strife, took place from M fifteen. To M thirty essentially, and this okay. is kind of like the end of or not M M twenty five.
2: I'd say so this M30. is kind of how it end, how the Age of Strife ends. Yeah, this is the is,
1: beginning of the end of the Age of Strife. So Terra is like beyond fucked right now.
2: That, that's yes. why I called it Mad Max. Like Terra has already yeah. gone and nuked itself and yeah, shit, shit, and bad, then nuked yo. itself over the ashes of that nuclear wasteland. <laughs> and yeah. demons and shit have already come out and nasty things have happened.
1: Oh, demons happened during the age of strife. Well, like yeah. there, there was demons
0: there. Yeah. There, were, there was, oh, they're yeah. not, they're not able to demon the way that you think they would demon. Like that didn't really happen until the crusade. Um, that was the first time that demons had like fully, fully, what the fuck manifested on
1: earth influence, chaos, influence, influence and like possessing all the
2: psychers and turning them into like, cause that's what was happening in the age of strife is the psychers would get possessed, explode into a giant warp portal. And then a bunch of demons and shit would come rampage and it just wasn't,
0: it just wasn't happening on Terra because of the emperor and because of the sigilites,
2: basically. But, but as there quick, was some demonic nonsense, just not, not was, like a full-blown yeah. demonic invasion.
0: Ten, ten, uh. Tentacle arms and demonic warp powers that humans had? Absolutely. Full-on blood letters running around? No.
1: Like, gotcha. yeah.
0: As a quick refresher, the Age of Technology, also known as the Dark Age of Technology, was the height of human scientific understanding and technological advancement. This started in the 15th millennium, or M15, and lasted about 10,000 years exactly when it came to a screeching halt in M25, which was the beginning of the Age of Strife. During so that, this time...
1: Is that also considered the Golden Age, or is that before that?
0: Yeah. So the, the Golden Age of Technology and the Dark Age of Technology are interchangeable words a lot of times.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. So during this time between M15 and M25, humanity mastered warp travel, Spread further into the galaxy than just the solar system, eventually settling millions of worlds, founded a galactic human federation or a galactic human empire that was centered on Terra or old Earth. Terra formed worlds to be as close to copies of old Earth as they could, and this would be old Earth before the ecological collapse, harnessed the very power of stars. In order to give themselves and their civilizations power, so this is essentially a type three civilization, is where we would be in the Karvosky scale, and even fashioned servants Kardashev. from clay. Kardashev, thank you, from clay and iron that were granted artificial intelligence and life in order to do human humanity's bidding. So the men of stone were fashioned out of clay, we think, and the men of iron were fashioned out of iron, we think both were artificially intelligent constructs we think my my home theory my my conspiracy theory is that the men of stone were much more like heavily cybernetically augmented people rather than fashioned out of clay but a lot of this stuff as presented through the imperial record has so much superstition and legend in it that you got to kind of, you got to kind of pick and choose. So in M25, a massive warp storm or a bunch of massive warm storms that were part of the millennia long gestation of the chaos God of Slanish cut off old earth and the closest of the colder worlds to the solar system from the rest of the galaxy. And then even those were cut off from one another one by one. Eventually old earth was cut off even from her nearest neighbors of Venus and Mars. While in some cases several planets may have maintained contact with one another and weathered the storm and some even grew in power and influence in their isolation. The majority of human settled worlds are cast adrift as the old night of the age of strife settled in.
1: So you think Buenos Aires is still good?
0: I mean the bugs, man. Well,
1: they got Buenos Aires.
2: (laughs) They nuked us, Johnny.
1: (laughs) So I'm going to take it as a no.
0: Yeah. It's gone, (laughs) bro. Oh. C- cash, cash that receipt in. C- get your return, <laughs> your vacation <laughs> home's gone. Yep. Well, it might not be gone. It's just very much on the edge of a giant desert now.
1: <laughs> Some people like to go, you know, their bike riding and stuff, though. So you know. that's true.
0: It's one man's desert. Yeah. One one just man's a, coastal household is another man's. De- I don't
1: desert wasteland, <laughs> wonderland. <laughs> <laughs>
0: just, one man's. Mad Max post-apocalypse is another man's playground, I guess. Yeah, just
1: riddled
2: with radiation. It's it's one warm. man's Try nuclear it. wasteland is one man's dune paradise.
1: Yeah, there you, go. There put there you hair, go. Put some hair on your chest. You'll be all right. So, so
0: since we're talking about nukes, and we're going to talk about nukes a couple more times, I found out a couple of months ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago, that the uh, Pip-Boy with his thumb out, he's not giving a thumbs up to the he's person measuring. that's looking at him. Yeah, if you can cover the mushroom cloud with your thumb, you're far enough away. <laughs> yep. I was like, "That's horrifying." I love it.
2: <laughs> yeah, right? it, it's funny because it's like everybody thinks he's just like, "Yeah,"
0: that he's buddy Jesusing, and he is not buddy Jesusing.
2: No, he's he's really. It's all for his own safety.
0: He's like,
1: "Yep, yeah. yeah. yep, I'm
0: fucked. Yep, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going have I'm gonna have three arms and about."
2: five minutes <laughs> i actually i've also been playing through fallout 4 again recently just because such a great so game it's funny that you brought it up um i i love the fallout lore it has a lot in yeah. common with warhammer like it has yeah. a lot of similar themes and they, like uh
0: lots of taking elements. the piss out of the country
2: that it came from <laughs> oh yeah that's, that's
0: theme number one take the piss out of the country that made you
2: <laughs> yep but uh it's it's pretty well done in general the, the lore is all pretty solid and and is deep enough to be convincing and in the right places even fallout 76 isn't bad honestly
0: but i also didn't play that until it had been out for more than a year so maybe oh, it was yeah. awful
2: when it came out what do they feel like, like i need to play that with like a group of people who'd be willing to like go do the raids and stuff
1: for privilege is invisible to those who have it is, is that what it's called what so
0: what you're saying is that I enjoy Fallout 76 from a place of privilege because I didn't play it when it was released? <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> I am secure in that privilege, Marky. It it's more about, an okay
1: game. It was more about pissing pissing on the country. Take it, that, yeah, yeah. taking it out the piss. Yeah, I got I, you. I,
0: I, but I just wanted to make the Fallout 76 joke.
1: <laughs> more about me. <laughs> but, uh,
3: oh, sorry, sorry.
0: <laughs> I, I had to make it about myself, Marky, okay? Because as a... Pri- no, no. <laughs>
1: As as a white man, as a as a white, white, white woman. <laughs> oh my god! That's, That's the, best, dude, are best, are you, the best thing are are to you gonna go to
2: a, a white man.
1: Need to go back I, to white chicks. Yeah, I was gonna say, are you gonna make this about white chicks against right. <laughs> I knock over the nuka Cola with my huge boobs, <laughs> and I say, I am a white woman.
0: <laughs> uh, now I just want to say, white. It's Will Wheaton. The Age of Strife reigned with anarchy, violence, and fear for 5,000 years, and eventually the unified planetary government of Old Earth tore itself apart in bloody conflict after bloody conflict. By about 500 M27, which would be about halfway through the 5,000 years, Old Earth had been divided up into dozens of warring states and tribes of techno-barbarians. The rest of the galaxy was a reflection of this on the macro scale— With supply lines devastated, communication cut off, and entire planets falling to famine, or worse, the perils of the warp. The once-galaxy-wide human empire became a fractured tapestry of warring states, desperate worlds, and pocket imperiums, all just trying to survive. Human psychers also began to be born in greater numbers, and in a time when the existence of warp creatures wasn't widely known, the dangers they posed was even less understood and it was impossible to even guess at the damage done or the number of worlds lost due to demonic incursions. Into this swirling chaos, aliens also descended on countless human worlds, ravaging them for plunder, taking either goods or humans to be used as slaves. Left undefended by a greater galactic network, many of these worlds reverted quickly to barbarism as well. Life became a desperate struggle for almost any human survivor. Some worlds and systems weathered the Age of Strife much better, like the Mobian Domain, where Darktide takes place, but those are tales for another time. Humanity stood on the brink of total annihilation, the scattered remains of the Age of Technology's empires mere shadows of what they had once been, beset on all sides by famine, plague, endless war against Xenos invaders, and the emerging horrors of the warp.
1: So were Thunder Warriors fighting all of this stuff? Or is no. this before, before the so, Emperor
0: was... So by 500, M27, Old Earth had... The, the, the galactic empire that had existed on Terra managed to weather the first 2,000-ish years of the Age of Strife. And at that point, had descended into an F- anarchy that everybody, all the nation states, started infighting again and everything fell to shit. Uh, At the same time as all of that in the rest of the galaxy anything everything that was happening on Earth was kind of like reflected out on the entire galaxy. So all of these little pocket areas, you know, all of these far flung galactic empires or all these far flung colonies started to go dark and be attacked and everything. Thunder warriors have nothing to do with it yet. There's okay, no emperor, okay. there's no thunder warriors.
1: So this, this is, is right before... setting up
2: everything. This is yeah. the prequel yeah. to the prequel.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. This is okay. like,
2: like yesterday's pre-com. <laughs> it's in- just the
0: back, interesting. it's just the background to, you know, set the because it it's important to remember that the unification wars happened in an artificial vacuum. They happened because Terra was surrounded by a warp storm. They didn't happen
1: because Terra was
0: the only planet. So if it was happening to Terra, it was happening everywhere else, essentially.
1: So, so was there a cause to this warp storm? Like you know how there was yeah. the slanish was growing yeah,
0: that, in the warp. This was
2: this was slanish. The yeah.
0: oh, the birth of slanish, not yeah. the birth of this not. is the this is the gestation period of slanish. So as the hedonistic period of Elder Society happened, which we covered in our Eldari episodes, right? they you know the more excess they did the more powerful slanesh became in the warp before slanesh had coalesced into before slanesh had been born before slanesh had coalesced into a single thing
2: uh, so during like, this time loose loose cosmic slanesh not corporeal yeah. slanesh
0: so so for the 500 or so years that it took slanesh to coagulate into a single entity the warp was just fucked up and is what happens a lot when the warp is turbulent and screwed up, stuff happens and reflects into the material universe. And the truth is, the reason that this probably affected the age of technology, humanity, in a way that didn't happen when the Dark Imperium happened and the cicatrix Maledictum happened, because that's probably what we're talking about. There was a cicatrix Maledictum level event that happened that kicked off the Age of Strife. The difference is... The Imperium was not aware or set up to deal with the warp. So the Cicatrix dictum happens, but nobody knows that the warp exists. And there's a completely different reaction that you have to that event when you don't know what it is versus when you know what it is. But, so realistically, it was probably not worse than what happened when the Cicatrix Melodictum took over the galaxy. The difference was during the dark age of technology, humans didn't know what the warp was yet. So it came out of nowhere and it fucked everything.
1: But I thought they had faster than light travel at this point, which they did. And they knew that it was warp travel
0: and that they knew they were going into an extra dimensional space, but they didn't know what was in the extra dimensional space.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: I got you. And a lot of ways, two things were happening. Humanity wasn't psychic enough yet to really draw the, Attention. attention of the warp and the warp wasn't quite as crazy yet because Slannish hadn't been born and even okay. though Slannish is not the first chaos god Slannish like showing up on the scene kind of uh you know the party there's a point where cocaine gets brought out at the house party and most people that aren't that type of people go i'm a dip <laughs> That part of the party hadn't happened yet. <laughs> um, gotcha. Okay.
1: So, like, warp, warp <clears throat> entities weren't at the <clears throat> the boiling. Those, those point. people are boring.
2: <clears throat> <clears throat> <laughs> I admit Kevin's nothing. Kevin's over but... <laughs> there on that
1: slantish shit. <laughs> yeah. hey, I admit man. nothing,
2: but but the people who just go home, but yeah, they're boring. <laughs> hey man, you uh,
1: you party? <laughs>
3: What do
0: you mean? You ever been with two dudes, a dog, and a horse before? <laughs> oh, we're at that part of the party? I'm going home. <laughs> yeah, that's or, fair. Or do everything once. I mean, you got one or two opinions. What were you going to ask about the Age of Strife, Marky?
2: He's like, Uh, not two dogs and a horse. That sums it up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just trying to understand, like, where humanity was at this point where the warp was starting to get crazy. Like, uh, they didn't really... It sounds like they didn't really understand the warp at the time. They knew they needed Gellerfields to protect them from warp anomalies, right? I'm assuming they had Gellerfields.
0: Yeah, so Gellerfields existed at this point because essentially... I, the the way that it worked is they knew that the they knew that warp work travel warp travel worked because ships would go into the warp and they'd come out on the other side and they would have some of their crew but they wouldn't have all of their crew and it was kind of that like oh well human minds must not be able to comprehend what's on the other side so that's why the Geller field was developed the Geller field wasn't developed because they knew there were demons
1: right right it's that just is, a yeah, happy, what I was getting at. it was it, it was it a just, happy accident it was
2: a shield <laughs> for the warp. That's what it, it was, was. Uh, because the warp was, was just the warp at that point to humane Yeah, yeah. Like, it was lubricant. It, yes, yeah, 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 or yeah, like a, a nice pre-lubed condom. Yeah, they exactly. slide it on over their ship. Sa- they plunge it in. Plunge it in deep.
1: Yeah, they understand. And then, they understand that going in rough always, and dry is not really for the best. It's not. Always uh,
0: remember, Navigator Houses practice efficient. safe warp translation. <laughs> <laughs> Or else you'll get a warp STD.
3: Uh, Sorry, right. nobody, Sist-
0: nobody. Sister wants- Ophelia, sister Ophelia of Noble Ice House Sicanus, <laughs> will now show you how to apply a Geller field with this banana.
1: <laughs> otherwise, otherwise you get the warp clap. flashbacks to fourth
2: slash
0: fifth grade sex ed class right there.
1: Yeah. Oh my
0: God. (laughs) That's hilarious,
3: dude.
0: (sighs) So to head on back to old earth, the techno barbarian warlords and their warrior hosts continuously fought over the planet, which had become little more than a vast interconnected battleground. The use of chemical biological and thermonuclear weapons was common and slowly Old Earth was transformed into a battered and post-apocalyptic wasteland over the vast majority of its surface. The people of these tribes had become feral nomads, led by insane prophets, cyber-augmented butcher kings, vivisector warlords, and religious demagogues, warlords who erected fortified holds and fortresses in the wreckage of their lost civilizations. Anarchy and bloodshed became mankind's new masters, Billions died unknown and unremembered in the endless grinding attrition of these petty kingdoms rise and fall. Only whispered legend and rumors of the most heinous warlords, like the unspeakable King or the Seven Neverborn, left enough of an impact to last for generations. It was against this backdrop of violence, oppression, and casual brutality that the Emperor of Mankind first revealed himself. Although he had been planning this very moment for a millennia ever since at least the beginning of the age of strife
1: okay i want to get to the i want to get to the new warrior part we're getting we're getting we're
0: getting <laughs> no, close that,
2: so getting so, close. so the thunder warriors are a means to an end of which he has just started his path
0: the emperor appeared on the scene as a warlord more powerful than any other with an army of genetically enhanced genos warriors who would serve as the first units of the imperial army at his back. The emperor began his conquest of old earth now being known as Terra. So it's kind of this moment that we stop using old earth a lot and we start using Terra a lot. The emperor's plans are in motion. Old earth is no longer what we refer to the planet as he planned to reunite the warring techno barbarian nations into a unified planetary government. Once again, quick note on the genos warriors these were essentially genetically modified to be super soldiers but they're essentially still human so we're not at thunder warrior and we're not at transhumans yet so if just you were to fields, up humans yeah. up guardsmen yeah basically if you were to field them in 40k it would be a guardsman with plus one to everything across the board
1: pre-casterkin i think that would just make it a space marine
2: Thund- thunder casterkin
1: yeah essentially
2: because uh, uh, they were Kas- also Kazarkin give are given slight uh, gene modifications like to, like, to a bunch of bump, things. Yeah. yeah,
0: they were also the template from which the Proto Space Marine Thunder Warriors would be created. But essentially, again, they're still more human than transhuman. So Genos Warriors or Genos Warriors are essentially just um, guardsmen, guardsmen with yeah souped up guardsmen. The true core of the Emperor's power, though, was his rationality and foresight. He was playing 5D chess while everyone else was still arguing over the checker pieces. He also mastered science being on par with the height of the age of technology. And he was a warrior of unequaled martial prowess with few even understanding the range of his true abilities and powers. At this point, there were techno barbarians that were using dark warp powers, but nobody had mastery or really knew what the warp was. The emperor did. And that's a huge difference. Like, When you know that you can do weird magic-y shit, it's totally different than when you're a high-level Gandalf-style wizard. And the Emperor is a Gandalf-style wizard, for all intent and purpose.
1: Yeah, they were all doing water gun while he knows hydro pump kind of deal.
0: Yep. As he conquered huge territories across Terra, those that wouldn't join him were completely destroyed. He also didn't just replace the fear and brutality of the last warlord with his own flavor. Instead, he pulled down the mechanisms that established fear and superstition, replacing them with order and rationality of and the rationality of a secular society. So a lot of times he would come in and fucking win, you know, whether or not it was through negotiations, diplomacy, or actual combat. And everybody that he took over would be like, oh God, it's the same. Like we just we went from living under this,
2: lipless this dictator to that, that dictator
0: yeah yeah we went we went from living under lipless dick to living under the emperor this is going to be bad and then like a couple of months later they're like holy shit like they're
2: like we can oh, go to
0: work without dying we have food all the time there's running water again
2: it's it's very much the roman conquest of the barbarians expanded yeah. to global
0: this basis of order and rationality would be the foundation of the secular reasoning that is behind the ideal of the Imperial truth. The foundation of these beliefs as he unified Terra, would act as a springboard for his plans to reunite the lost human colonies of the galaxy into his formulating idea of the Imperium of man. But before he ventured to the stars, there was work to be done brutal rulers such as Warlord. Calgon, the Usurk, Cardinal Tang of the Yadonsik bloc, and the half-mad, half-genius Narthan Doom, tyrant of the Pan-Pacific Empire, were all crushed by the Emperor's forces. Of Nort, during the Ninth Battle of Gozer, fought between the Imperial Army of the Emperor and the Ursha in 999.M29, the Nord-Afric Conclave warlord, Polygon unleashed wave after wave of psychic attack against the emperor's forces. however, this didn't save the warlord, who was still slain, and Ursha fell quickly into line. So this is one of those cases where like the Nord African conclaves used a bunch of warp powers and like unsanctioned psychers. They just had all of these psychic slaves, and they just unleashed them in mass against the emperor, and the emperor was like, "No dog shield." through open warfare or diplomacy Snippity snap get off one, my back
3: <laughs> right
0: <laughs> through open warfare or open diplomacy one by one the emperor brought each nation into line
1: so the you guys remember that old video the guy at the picnic and he's just walking around slapping everybody
0: i feel like <laughs> yeah the like, emperor
1: feel like that's kind of uh, the emperor
0: <laughs> I, I i'm i'm going to go with it i i yeah. sure <laughs> Yeah, but- and, it, and it really was like that. I and there are cases. We'll talk about it when we break out and talk about the independent techno barbarian nation states later on in the episode. We'll talk about cases where the emperor was actually like like hard pressed to win, but for the most part, he did. He came across. You know, think of. The major world powers and then there's the secondary world powers and then there's the tertiary world powers and then there's like the fourth, fifth and sixths. When he came across these sixths and these fifths, they just rolled over because they couldn't do anything. Yeah, they, they didn't literally couldn't do anything. Like, he would conjure a bunch of lightning and eagles in the sky, as Kevin was bringing up before we started, and we were still doing our production meeting. And, like, this entire group would just be like, oh, I guess you're our god now. (laughs) Like, that was it. Like, this dude can conjure shit from his fucking hands. None of us can do that. Guess you're the boss. (laughs) So, was
1: he, like, super powerful from the get-go, or did he, like, progress with his power as he move through the unification wars and through like crusades and whatnot, or was he always this powerful? He kind of was always this
0: powerful. I, and I think what's going to happen in our unifications wars part two episode is we're probably going to take a quick aside after we finish talking about some of the, the stuff that we're going to roll into to talk about where the emperor came from and how long the emperor has been around. Cause the thing to remember is the emperor didn't just, materialized in m27 the emperor had been planning for millennia to do this and yeah, he um, allegedly
2: had been important notable figures guiding humanity throughout time so right you know theorize napoleon things like that napoleon like, alexander like jesus the great, could have jesus, been yeah,
0: like jesus alexander the great the yeah. genghis khan allegedly. could have all been the emperor yep allegedly, allegedly. yeah And and Um, there's another organization called the sigilites that are essentially a monastic order that had kind of been uh, doing stuff in the background the entire time too.
1: So in the DC universe, they have uh, a guy called Mandel Savage and he was essentially like the, uh, the first caveman, but he was, uh, he was the kind of like the, the first caveman, but he was, uh, I think given immortality and He essentially became like a warlord of, of every, every age and eventually became like a, like a master. I mean, he wasn't like super all powerful with like psychic abilities, but he just like had been alive since the beginning of time. It it just seemed very similar.
0: Yeah. In, in the Warhammer cosmology, there are perpetuals that are born to every race and it, most of the perpetuals that we know about are either human or Eldari, but it's greatly hinted at that there are perpetuals born to every race. Like, for instance, Shadow Sun might be a perpetual. Like, there's a chance that some Farsight could be a perpetual. We don't know. There, there are oh, speaking Tau of Farsight, that have lived too reason, long that may.
2: Yeah, I know Go it's ahead, it's randomly and way off topic for what we're talking about right now. But apparently, Farsight could summon demons now.
0: Yeah, Farsight has a demon sword. We'll get there.
2: <laughs> I know he has a demon sword, <laughs> but like apparently like like actual the demons, demon, sword. demon like, blade. Show up.
0: What Kevin's talking about is the reason that they think that Farsight is both one, a perpetual in air quotes and bunny ear air quotes, and two, has gotten into some of the conflicts that he's gotten into is because of the Dawn Blade. And the Dawn Blade is a demon sword. So the Dawnblade is stealing the essence, the life essence of people that he kills with it, and then it's feeding into him, keeping him alive, keeping him as a perpetual. However, you know how there's that big conflict between the far side enclaves and the um the corn empire. That, oh. And and corn after he splits it. Tom talked about it at one point. Where like it got bad enough that they were battling like he and the demons were fighting on like pillars of blood on this planet, that um, entire conflict. Right. So there is now a theory that that's because Farsight was unknowingly summoning demons to him and then fighting them because he didn't realize that he was summoning. And it's very, it's, we'll get
2: there. (laughs) We'll get there. It's not even just that in, in the newest arcs of Omen stuff, there's, there's a a bit about like they, they show up there
0: too. Right. When he's involved. so So that, That's the like, oh, if you know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, shame on you, fool me three times. Wait, am I summoning demons? (laughs) Like, it's kind of one of those. I don't have war presence. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll get there. But anyway, so there's this idea that every race probably has perpetuals in it. And whether or not perpetuals are a remnant of the old ones or they're connected to something no one really knows. On earth, there was a conclave, there was a monastic order of 12 perpetuals that decided to sacrifice themselves in a ritual to all be reincarnated rather than being... So a perpetual dies and they're reincarnated. So instead of these perpetuals dying and being reincarnated, they sacrifice themselves in a ritual to all be reincarnated into one body. And that one body that they were reincarnated into
1: was the emperor.
0: And they kind oh. of give a semi mystical timeline of like
1: almost like Shazam and uh, what is it hot hot guy and hot girl they're they're considered perpetuals. It falls into that that idea too, where like 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 the way that
0: it's presented, whether or not it's what we're supposed to think, or whether or not it's just the way that it's presented. Some ancient Shaolin monks did ancient Shaolin monk stuff. And the emperor was born during the dynastic Chinese era. So we're talking like 3000 BC.
1: It sounds maybe. very much like those uh, animes where it's like a born again anime. So like you die and then you're reincarnated into another world, but you're like a superpower.
2: Oh yeah. What <laughs> perpetuals very do, because
1: like Vulcans
0: are perpetual is an example. Right. Um, what happens to a perpetual is they die or they're destroyed and their body basically reefs, So they're not really reborn. They just heal. If Vulcan is blown up and the reason that Vulcan was blown up and separated the way he was was so this wouldn't happen. But if like Vulcan was Vulcan, not Vulcan, if Vulcan was destroyed down to the fact that they only had like his pinky, he would regrow from his pinky. He'd be pissed, but he'd regrow from his pinky and like, he wouldn't uh, regrow as a baby boy. He would regrow as pissed off Vulcan from his pinky and that's kind of how the perpetuals were but in this case these 12 specific perpetuals sacrifice themselves to be reincarnated into a child a child that they chose and then that child became the emperor and then the emperor has been playing a shadow puppet of all of human history and for whatever reason didn't decide to act until Malkador went went over and was like hey bro
2: you want to hey We
0: know about you. Can you can should, you like, stop fucking about?
2: Yeah, let's do stuff now. Yeah. <laughs> can
0: we do stuff now? Like we've been waiting like So, is it known
2: 27,000 years, asshole? Can you
0: shit or get off the pot? I mean, come on. <laughs> is it known
1: that Vulcan is a perpetual? Like is it like a well-known thing like, oh yeah, Vulcan won't die. He's a perpetual. Or is that just kind of like a outside looking in lore? That's more of an outside looking in lore,
0: but obviously the people who killed Vulcan new because they separated parts of Vulcan's body. So he couldn't heal.
1: Okay. Cause I was kind of thinking like, if you know that Vulcan is a perpetual and the emperor, like if it's known that he's a perpetual, then why wouldn't you just let, let him die instead of so keeping on life support. So he would come back.
0: The reason they won't let the emperor die. This, that's a very good question is it's theorized or it's feared that it, because there is a, a, amount of transition. There is a time where uh, they are
1: actually full dead. Yeah. Like Deadpool. Right. So like he comes back right. with his baby legs. There's a growing period. Yes. Yeah, there's yeah, a yeah.
0: period of time that takes place or like, like when Deadpool blows himself up with all of the, the um, the, barrels. the barrels at the beginning of the movie. And then he eventually comes back and he's pissed about it. Yeah. There's like six months that he doesn't remember. Cause he was literally Adams like plastered all over a wall. Right. Right. During that time period. The Astronomicon will blink out. All of the wards against all of the webway gates on Terra and several other core, core worlds will drop because the Emperor is dead dead. Right. Demons will completely infest the Imperium and the Imperium will be wiped out. So the Emperor said at a certain point, don't fucking unplug me, whatever you do.
1: So he's like a stop, well, stop essentially. For, nobody for really
2: them. knows what he said because he gave the instructions to Dorn
0: constantine valdor said that the emperor said don't (laughs) unplug me or else and if we know anything about constant valdor he never lies and is totally not the king in yellow and the actual bad guy (laughs) interesting (laughs) tinfoil hat we don't actually know if that's what's happening with constant valdor but but yeah, like essentially Dorn and Valdor and like a handful of other people are the only ones who know what the emperor actually said. But the theory is that the reason that they keep him alive on the golden throne is for what I just said. And that's actually why yeah. there's the button, which we talked about last episode, which is called the, the heyday principle, the, the market, the etch a sketch end of the world. What the fuck is that? The but button called the again,
2: terminus decree. Yes.
0: The terminus decree that, if enough bad shit happens in enough bad ways, the Custode will run up and, and press the red button and it will kill the Emperor. And then the Emperor will either be reborn in the warp as the fifth Chaos God might be happening in 10th, or the entire Imperium will just basically collapse. dissolve and collapse in on itself.
2: There's a bunch of things.
0: And as to where that might mean a really bad thing for Terra and a really bad thing for some of the Core Worlds will that mean humanity is gone or will that just mean that Terra is no longer the center center of the empire? Is it, yeah, there's a lot of different,
2: guess where it goes. Fucking McCrag.
0: (laughs) Essentially the big fear is that if the emperor dies, Slanish version 2.0 will happen. We'll get another eye of terror, but it'll be centered around Terra Oh, another chaos god will be born and humanity will start declining as a race and will join the Eldar in the long procession to obscurity.
2: Mm, yes, that's not good.
0: And McCraig will become the center of the
2: Imperium. <laughs> you know I'm right. That's exactly what They're going to be like, here, Gilliman's now the, the new Ephra yeah. and McCraig.
0: <laughs> All right, so the Genos warriors. As we mentioned already, the foundation of most of the Emperor's genetic programs were the Genos warriors. Regiments such as the Geno Five Two, Kiliad and others would eventually be collectively known as the Old Hundred when they became the core of the Imperial Army during the Great Crusade. They also served as the blueprint for another unification era military force created in laboratories beneath the Himalayan Mountains with the help of the Selenar Gene Rights of Luna. These would be the Thunder Warriors. The most elite of the Genos first-generation super soldiers could be abducted, inducted, although abducted kind of works too, could be inducted into the Thunder Warriors. They were made physically stronger and more formidable in combat than even the later generations of space marines, but they were engineered to be vicious killers and lacked any of the more noble traits of the later Astartes nor were they designed to be long lived. The thunder warriors were a means to an end and the emperor didn't purpose build them to factor in his new imperium. They were designed with a shelf life in mind. The emperor's incredible foresight had shown him the bloody path unity, and then the future of humanity would need to tread. So he accepted the death of the many innocents it would take for the conquest of Terra. While he felt remorse, he realized it paled in comparison to the predators of the warp and the xeno species of the galaxy that were assaulting the rest of humanity as a whole because again the emperor knows that terra isn't in a vacuum he knows that there are millions of other worlds right. some with more population than terra that are just getting wrecked while all of this is happening
2: and everybody on terra probably at this point doesn't even remember that there's other planets
0: Oh yeah, 100%. No idea anymore. The unimaginably large and full-scale battles of the Unification Wars would last for solar weeks on end, with body counts in the millions, weapons sundering the very mountains and even splitting entire continents. Battles that needed the unflinching, untiring, unremorseless brutality that the Thunder Warriors provided. By the way, most Imperial scholars don't think any of this shit's real and they don't think any of this shit is real because they're like, weapons can't crack continents. And it's like, yeah, yeah, they do all the time, man. What are you talking about?
1: So the Thunder Warriors are, if he constructed them with the shelf life, wouldn't he repurpose them until they just died out? Like, why do what he did? We'll kind of get into that it was- a little bit this episode,
0: and we'll dive a little bit deeper into the Thunder Warriors as Just themselves next episode, so we'll get even deeper into it. It's not
2: essentially, it's not like they just keel over and die. It's a genetic instability that leads them to like get brain tumors and just be uh, unruly and aggressive. So they're no longer effective soldiers, but they'd be great mass murderers, which is not good for an (laughs) Imperium.
0: Or their second heart would be slowly rejected and they would die.
2: Yeah. Like stuff like that. would keel over and die but a bunch of them would just go on a rampage and stop being an effective soldier
1: yeah gotcha. so it's like universal That's what soldier saw.
2: yes yeah yeah actually so he purged them to yeah. uh, correct <laughs> that mistake
0: the imperial chronicles tell of the last battle of the unification wars known as the battle of mount ararat a battle fought between the forces of the emperor and the kingdom of Uratru. It is said that during this battle, the last of the Thunder Warriors were slain to a man. The famed Thunder Warrior, Eric Tarnas, known as the Lightning Bearer, raised the banner of lightning at the final declaration of unity, an act which established the rule of the Emperor of Mankind over all of Terra. Before Eric, the last Thunder Warrior to still draw breath, succumbed to his many grievous wounds and finally died, his duty to the Emperor complete. But this is a heroic version of the events, and it is a complete fabrication. They had instead been brutally called and wiped from existence by the Emperor's own order, a terrible secret of betrayal hidden from the Imperium for more than 10,000 years. The Thunder Warriors had not been created for peace. They were simply a brutal function of the war against the Techno-Barbarians. It was reasoned that had they been left alive, they would even pose a threat to the Imperium of Man eventually. Unlike space marines, who are also designed as much as stewards and statesmen as warriors and conquerors, London warriors had been chosen from among the most elite of the Genos warrior regiments, having been grown men when they were modified. Many of their bodies would begin to rebel against their manipulations and reject their genes and new organs within a few standard decades.
1: So very crude version of Space Marines, essentially.
0: It's kind of a mix of, I need it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. And I need it to be crazier than the shit I'm fighting. It's more of a
1: quantity over quality at this point, because I need it tomorrow. right? Okay. Well, because there were
0: techno-barbarians, a lot like the picture that I just brought up, where the woman has three arms. There were techno-barbarians that had warp sophistication already where they had three arm. There are techno barbarians who's think of trying replaced... to fight
2: Dark Mechanicus. Right. But, yeah, exactly. But you you don't have anything, so you have to make something.
0: There's a really good picture that I'm trying to find. This. You have to fight that. An you. army of those. <laughs> you have you have to yeah. come up with
2: an army to fight against a dude who uses those as his army.
1: Yeah. So yeah. So diggin' Yeah. It's a, it's essentially so the picture that I brought
0: up was a techno barbarian listeners who had had both of his arms removed at the shoulder and had basically been replaced with giant crushing claws from an orc. Power claws. But instead of yeah, but instead of being like matched to his body size, they were like twice as big as his body. It was like size. gorilla. And he's like almost. gorilla yeah.
2: roided out too. <laughs>
0: And they're pumped full of chemicals. So the emperor needed something to fight that and he needed something to fight that now. And as much as the genos warriors were doing really well, cause the so the genos warriors were super effective because they were well disciplined. They were well regimented. They were advanced enough. So it's just withering fire. The problem is as soon as you stop fighting on a battlefield and you start fighting in the ruins of a city, that rigid disciplined line fire breaks down because then you can have one fucking roided out monster with three claws tear through two or three units in the regiment before the regiment even knows he's
2: there.
1: Yep, turns into urban warfare, close yep. combat, urban warfare, and, and then you need thus
2: you need chainswords and men to yep. wield them,
0: and you need them yesterday. So that was part of it. The other part of it was as much as the emperor knew. This was the first time the emperor was putting anything into practice, on on a large scale, right? So you know, as to where some of the custodes had probably been purpose built by this point, some of the custodes had been purpose built by this point. Actually, the custodes being singular, you know, each custode is essentially it's is is their own created from the ground up person. The emperor hadn't taken all of that practice and all of that knowledge and made it into a template that he could duplicate a bunch. So what works on 25-year-old Fred, who's your most trusted advisor, who was wounded on the battlefield, who you want to turn into a custode, doesn't necessarily work on Sam, Max, Dave, and Kevin, because you know Fred's medical history really well and and Fred's genetic genome really well, but you don't know these other guys. You just met them. Uh, mm. So it's kind of like a mix of both essentially that we're happening. If that makes any sense. It's, it's modifying your favorite sports car or making a stock car for one race,
1: I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. It's a, like in the same analogy, it's like a formula one car versus like you said, it's a, you know, sleeper or something that that's, yeah. only that's only good. I, I would for say one if race. you're going to put
2: it in car terms, Thunder warriors are like a top fuel dragster, where you blow up the transmission every race. Like that's just that's just part of it.
0: Yeah, you know that you're going to you know it's going to be blown up
2: after the race, but the thing's going to go 200 miles an hour or whatever the stupid fast speeds these things get to in shortest or, amount of time. But yeah. it's not going to be able to race again tomorrow. <laughs> you know,
0: or a demolition derby car, a yeah. demolition derby car versus yeah, de- your, you know, like your, your demolition derby roadster. car is
2: probably the probably the best <laughs> best analogy it's it's oh, there yeah. just for brutality and it's gonna be it's not there to fight again later
0: their armor and the, we haven't gotten it we'll probably get into this more in next episode when we talk about their war gear and stuff but their armor also hadn't been made for use in space their armor was essentially made to nope. fight techno
2: barbarians it was not sealed
0: Before the culling itself, the Emperor simply stopped replacing those who had died in battle, his work having already started on the prototype Astartes of the First Legion, but not enough simply died in combat or reached their assumed expiration dates. So the Emperor didn't worry about dealing with the problem before, which I think is the other question, the other half of the question you asked, Marky, because... He knew that enough of them were going to die in combat and he knew that a lot of them were going to start hitting their expiration dates. So he was basically like, okay, if I stop making them on May 28th, by December 1st, they'll all be dead. And then December 2nd rolls around and he's like, why are there still 90,000 of (laughs) you? What the fuck? My calculations clearly said. (laughs) So the emperor is not perfect. Infallible. (laughs) According to Eric Taranis. So it's Eric with an A. According to Arik Tyrannus, the final calling took place after the famed last battle of unification, and it was carried out by the Legio Custode, as they were said to be the only soldiers in the Imperium capable of defeating Thunder Warriors mano imano. mano No one else could take on Thunder Warriors. It took Custodes. However, another source claims that before the Unification Wars had ended, the Thunder Warriors had seen the writing on the wall. They knew that they were cursed to short and brutal lives due to the imperfected nature of their genetic augmentation. Seeing this as a betrayal, they had already begun to turn on the emperor. It took a cadre of several hundred custode, custodes rumored to have been led by constant Valdor himself and several thousand Astartes of the first legion that stood in the emperor's defense, carrying out a merciless culling of the now obsolete and rebellious gene soldiers. However, Some Thunder Warriors escaped the call, but their numbers were too few to be significant. While the Emperor took moves to hide whatever brutal fate he ordered for the Thunder Warriors, the cat, as they say, was already out of the bag. This is a factor that will come back into play in the future as the Space Marine Legions wander towards their place after the conclusion of the Great Crusade. So a lot of those early conversations where people are like whispering in Horace's ear about like, Hey, your dad sucks. He's going to betray you. They'd be like, just look at what happened to the Thunder Warriors. He's like,
2: what do you think's going to happen after the crusade? You're just going to get Thunder Warrior.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, there were enough First Legion, which is Dark Angels, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, at the calling or involved in the calling that they were like, you know, you got a couple of thousand soldiers at an event like that. They're going to fucking talk. No matter how disciplined they are, they're going to talk. That whole idea that like, why do most conspiracy theories fall apart? Well, as soon as you need 50,000 people to not talk about something, one of them's going to talk about something. <laughs> right. The more people needed to keep your conspiracy secret, the less likely it is you'll keep it secret. It's that. It's that in practice. I
1: feel bad.
0: Oh, it's going to get worse when we talk about the Thunder Warriors in more detail in episode two of the Unification Wars. Like- it makes me you're not. Gonna, you're going to have to get the violin out for Marky. It <laughs> makes,
1: makes me not like the emperor very much.
0: And, and there's, there's a lot to be said. So the emperor is very much a Machiavellian character. The ends always justify the means. And the reason always. is because the emperor sees the next 50,000 years of human history. It's the exact same problem you as. You see a
1: fucking horse stabbing him in the goddamn neck.
0: Or did he? And he knew that he had to do the things that he had to do so the Imperium of Man would survive. Did well, he exactly know? Jokes yeah, boy, on him he... His, dick,
1: his dick fell off on the Golden zone, So
0: <laughs> This is that whole thing. Do you side with the Emperor or not? And obviously, I, I, I completely side with the Emperor.
1: <laughs> I side with the human side. That's what I do. That's why I play Death Watch and not Dark Angels or Ultramarine.
0: I, I actually this i i have to tell you like every every once in a while we do a series and it inspires me to want to start an army. I actually think if I were to go full space marine and i i have always said that I would either do well well I've got a couple of space marine ideas, but if I were to do an actual like space marine space marine army, I would now be tempted to possibly do dark angels over white scars just because no. the the dude they are so wrapped up in all this fucking early unification where yeah. Dark Angels yep. saw some of the worst fucking shit. I hate the like, Dark Angels. No dude. wonder they're kind of traitors. Yeah. It totally makes sense.
2: <laughs> actually, um, Arcs of Omen covers all that now. I, I caught yeah. up on that, and apparently, so- like all those fallen, like a bunch of them are forgiven because they never were actually chaos. They were just not loyal to, they were like, the Imperium's not really doing what the Imperium's supposed to do.
0: <laughs> and that's always been the Dark Angel thing. The Imperium, the Dark Angels, and the Alpha Legion, or the other one, where like, they definitely seem to be following orders that were given in 30k. And yes. that's why everybody hates them. They're not doing 40k orders, they're doing 30k orders. Yep. And I and I am malfarious.
1: Just the just the simple fact that they were the ones that pulled the trigger on the Thunder Warriors makes me hate them even more. Well, but you still want to play? Uh, well, you want to do Thunder Warrior Custodes. Never mind. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, no, I I hate Custodes too. I
0: don't like. Custodes. I'm pretty sure, by the way, that. That Arik is one of the Thunder Warriors that might still that's theorized to still be alive. I know that he survived the calling. I just don't know how long he survived.
1: Mm. Yeah, I still want to make a Thunder Warrior army and uh Rugen actually has a custodes army. So if I make that Thunder Warrior army, you better believe we're gonna Duke it. We're the gonna fuck tango. Out. We're gonna tango. Thunder Warrior is gonna take that glory back. Yeah, I
2: hear it. Take that it. take that All glory right. hole back in their mouth.
1: It wasn't their fault.
0: The Treaty of Mars, a bit before the unified planetary government of Terra settled into a smooth running machine, the Emperor took the first steps that would lead toward the Great Crusade, venturing to Mars to speak with the adepts of the cult Mechanicus. Even though the Imperium had been founded on the ideals of secular truth and reasoning, the Emperor needed the ancient Mechanicum's vast resources. From the deployment of their Titan legions, Knights, and Scatari legions to support his effort to their orbital shipyards and ground-based manufactura to construct the weapons and starships that would be needed for the crusade. In order to secure this alliance, the Emperor granted the Mechanicum complete autonomy on Mars and on any of its forge worlds, as well as an exemption to the atheism required by the Imperial Truth. This alliance, based on an agreement known to Terra as the Treaty of Mars and to the Mechanicum as the Treaty of Olympus, marks the true foundation of the imperium of man and as kevin mentioned this is not before the end of the unification wars this is actually a little bit before the final battles this is happening probably within a couple of years or a couple of months of the end of the unification wars but there is still conflict happening on earth during this time
1: so there's still no Space Marines yet, right? That's there towards are. the end, or there, there are, are Space Marines. Yeah. So he was improving there's, on the whole.
2: I call them Proto Marines because they're not. They call them Proto Marines. Yeah, they're not they, not. they call from, them Proto Marines too. Oh, uh, okay. They're not from their homeworlds. They're Terrans given gene seed.
0: So there's two types of pre primarch homeworld space marines there are proto Astartes, and then there are terran astardis proto oh, okay. astardis are like a step between thunder warriors and terran based
1: oh and there yeah. actually
2: is another step um i didn't realize this now, is I'm like mark one
1: this is like mark one armor type stuff or this, this is, is this, this isn't even
2: mark one this is pre
0: yeah okay I can't remember what the mark of armor was called, but yeah, essentially you're thinking in the right era when he goes to Mars, several of the legions have already been founded. They already have their Terran pulls. They already have their first, the beginnings of their legions, or they already have, I, I want to say at this point, the salamanders have 20, we'll, we'll get to it, but they have about 20,000 legionnaires already. Um, but not all of them are filled out yet. The Primarchs are missing. We'll get, we'll get into that entire mess. So Primarchs
1: are already up. created at this point but still missing. They're, They're gone. all over the place. No one knows where they are. Yeah. right.
0: There's a, it, so, and that's, that's an important thing. You know, when we talk about timelines and that, this is why we're kind of splitting up by, by factions and series. And when we bring up stuff, like when we talked about the birth of Slanish, I related it back to our, our episode 2019 episode 18, 19 or 20 is where we start the Eldari. Like that stuff that we were talking about in the Eldari is happening at the same time as this stuff. And and the Primarch stuff is happening during, like everything is kind of overlapping. Nothing is simple. The only thing that really happened before all of this was the war in heaven. <laughs> right. The Necron stuff happened before this.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So now we're going to break down the techno-barbarian states. Records from the Age of Strife and before are largely fragmentary and uncertain, and the information we are about to present might contain errors, contradictions, and misunderstandings. But this is the best list of notable techno-barbarian and pre-unification states that existed on old Earth during the unification. And the unification is another word the unity, the unification, the unification wars, the wars of unification. There's like 70 ways to talk about the unification wars. So when I say during unification, I mean during the wars. Yeah. The Achamedian states I'm sorry, the Achamedian Empire, which was Southeast Asia. Centered on the ancient nation state of Iran, this techno-barbarian state took up much of the Middle East in an area roughly matching that of the pre-first millennium Persian Empire. This empire was a more cultured and refined than most others, celebrating truth and the availability for open discourse. It was a monarchy that ruled over many tribal factions. So the tribes would kind of do like a pseudo-democratic... Process to decide things, they were a very wealthy tribal people and were quickly and were very quick to ally with the emperor, avoiding facing him during the unification wars. This population also had mostly uncontam- and mostly uncontaminated genome as they had not sustained as much exposure to lingering nuclear and biological effects. This thing of genome will be really important in the reconstruction, which is the time period right after the unification wars that we'll talk about next episode. But the emperor was really, really obsessed with finding like unmutated, uncorrupted humans, because a lot of humans had been
2: mutated, too adapted,
0: far. yeah, adapted to live in a nuclear wasteland or adapted to live in biological hazard zones—things that weren't considered human anymore. This made them good candidates for Space Marine legions, and many early candidates were recruited from this population to become the first Thousand Sons. Both. Azek Araman and his twin brother Ormuzd Araman Omer Muzd Araman are sons of the Achmed.
2: Akhmanid.
0: Ach- I'm not. I'm not putting the Ahmed into it. Yeah. The, the Achmed Empire's the, the royal main class. Thing I
2: know, the reason you butcher everything is you forget the cultural, like yeah, I do. Derivative I, I try that to it pronounce. comes from, and you try to pronounce it in in radio voice.
0: It, th- or or pseudo latin i try pseudo- to do pseudo latin a lot. words
2: that aren't latin <laughs>
0: okay yeah. but okay so so azik aramon is definitely his name his twin brother is omaru's omaru's Omruz h omaru's uh, omaru's like, It's Araman? like ormoos Ormuz? Ormuz? oh
2: it could have a silent a... it's got oh, he a silent, silent. ormoos okay maybe i don't but know the...
0: But that's, but that's the famous Aramon. That's the famous South thousand sun. Yeah. yeah. Not, not the Ormuz, the other guy, the, the other one,
2: the one with the better name. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Proof and that you and gotta have a Terran, good name
2: to be famous.
0: And they're, t- <laughs> right. And they're Terran space Marines, but they are definitely not proto. Right. <laughs> so Albia in the British Isles, evidence suggests that Albia is located in the area of the British Isles as it is described as having bordered North Atlan, potentially a reference to the North Atlantic Basin, and was engaged in frequent conflict against the Pan-Pacific Empire, which was on the far side of the North Atlantic Basin. By this time, the Atlantic Ocean had dried up long ago. Albio was noted to have towering, soot-blackened Castron cities, which invoked images of industrialized Victorian England and it is said to have employed Ironside clan soldiers when fighting against the emperor. However, the best evidence is the great dramaturges of Shakespeare and Marlowe, who are said to have come from ancient Albia. By the way, that was Shakespeare and Marlowe.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I never would have guessed
0: <laughs> Shakespeare.
2: Shakespeare, as mentioned. Yeah. <laughs>
0: albia was entrenched in a fight against the pan pacific empire when it was under the rule of the unspeakable king and it was even aided by the emperor during these conflicts however albia refused to take the knee and the emperor came into direct conflict with them using his thunder warriors his thunder warriors fought against the proto dreadnoughts and armored ironside clan soldiers Albia proved to be a thorn enough in the emperor's side with the great cost and lives to each that he eventually offered a ceasefire and came to them in negotiations. When he did this, he appeared in a white and red robe devoid of any weapons and shared his visions of humanity's future, including Albia's place in it. This moved the warlords of Albia who saw the emperor as not just another tyrant bent to their destruction and they joined the emperor and became some of his staunchest fighters. Albians were suitable gene recruits for the 14th Legion, called the Dusk Raiders. The 8th Legion, the Night Lords, were recruited from the Castoram Cities, while the 10th Legion, the Iron Hands, were recruited from the Ironside Clans. However, it is the 14th Legion recruited from Albia in the majority, and much of the Legion's culture was shaped by Albia. One of the things that I thought was interesting here was proto-dreadnoughts. So Albia is where dreadnoughts
2: come from. That's pretty cool.
0: Not to be confused with Albion, which is possibly just a reference to Albia under a different older name. One of its rulers, the tyrant, Ulian the Red, was defeated by the emperor and imprisoned in the dungeons of Kangba Maru in Himalasia. But that's it. Albion is just another name. Next up is Biosha. This is an area of terra mentioned in the ancient records as having held out against full unification for a considerable amount of time. While they recognized the emperor and his unification of the rest of Terra, the dynasties held on to their monarchy for as long as they could. The emperor, in a show of patience and benevolence, allowed the ruling dynasty of Yasleti to carry on a semi-autonomous state for nearly 150 years. Under this agreement, however, they would integrate themselves with the imperial government over time and with dignity. However... They decided to rebel, and it took the Imperial Army and the Thousand Sun Space Marine Legion to crush them and drag them in. This area was known for its concentration of industry as well as the existence of buried shrines to ancient gods of an earlier age. Boeotia is essentially Greece, or the Grecian area, by the way. Okay. Britannica. A small island state located in was once the British Isles, another potential reference to Albia. (laughs) I love how some of these are just like a name.
1: That's it. (laughs) So I'm not great with history, but didn't like uh, Persia take over a lot of the areas in Greece? Yes. Would would you say that it's almost like a parallel to the emperor taking over a lot of these areas or... Is it on a larger scale? Obviously a larger scale than that, but... Yeah.
0: The Persians are the bad guys in the 300. Right. So the Persian Empire at its height was Iran, Iraq, Syria. It was like a a bunch of that area. I can't remember in the Middle East. Yeah, Yeah, the Middle East. If I remember... Generally a large problem in the Middle East. Yeah, it went all the way to India. It's basically the territory just south of Himalaya. So when the emperor enters that area, and those guys are like, hey, what's up, man? Yeah, we like your flow, we'll join. It's a huge boon to the emperor's power for what you just said. It would be like the Nepali monks, essentially, if you will, inheriting the Persian Empire as their first major fighting force and then immediately going to the next, the, the next guys out, which were probably Beosha yeah. and being like, hey, and Beosha's like, look, look, just like the 300, we like what you're doing, we're going to let you do it everywhere, but we're not going to bend the knee to you. The emperor isn't Xerxes and goes, fuck you, I'm going to make you fall. The emperor goes, yeah, yeah, sure, you can keep your dumb crap. Just realize that within a couple of cycles of kings, within a cycle of kingers two, you got to get in line with the Imperium because I got bigger deals, <laughs> he, and then they don't do it.
2: It, it. It's like, here's the deal. I'm going to leave you alone since you just want to play king in your own sandcastle. But when yeah. I run out of other people's sandcastles to kick over and take, I'm gonna I'm come back. And I'm kick coming yours. back, and your sandcastle is gonna get bulldozed and put into my sandcastle because there's only yeah. in the end, only one sandcastle.
0: And they essentially were okay with that because you know obviously commerce is happening during all of this. Yeah, and you said it's a monarchy, right? So it was led by it was a monarchy. Yeah, it, it was, was a le- king. Isn't that a patriarchy? Or kings. <laughs> Uh, noble well, a monarchy is a noble bloodline that runs. Uh, yeah. What is... Patriarchal society is a society where it's the male heir that determines the monarchy. Right. A matriarchal society matriarchal, is where the female heir... that's what I was looking heir. for. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So the Caucasus wastes of the Caucus Peninsula... I'm sorry? The Caucus. The was Caucasus it, are... Was it big? Um, it was very big. The Caucasus, the Caucasus mountains,
2: mountains run next to the black sea to yeah but the
0: Caucasus peninsula is uh is um bosnia and everything oh, yeah. is that
2: area right kev no that's um that's the anatolian peninsula if i remember right i'm sure
1: chalk is gonna be like you fucking motherfuckers
2: but because Caucasus is <laughs> georgia right, 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 right. right. oh it's up it's a
0: little up well right no, the, the peninsula
2: it's on the other side of the of an entire body of water <laughs> Well, there's there no, is no, body, no of body of water, so it's it's gone. <laughs> but that is the Caucasus Mountains. That is Turkey, Georgia, and Armenia.
0: Yes, that was what
2: I was looking or for. Azerbaijan. I don't know. W- Our, yeah, 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 Armenia is there okay. too. Okay, so if you if you, so want, you, if were, you want, you were you're talking over here in Bulgaria is where. Yeah, yeah. I, w- <laughs> I, was, I like, was like, the it's wrong place. Th- you're so... on a whole <laughs> skip over yeah, one in... body of water. <laughs>
0: I think. And I was like, my brain doesn't want to do that. Uh, listeners, if you're wondering where this peninsula is, where this area is, it's between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, That's, which is yeah. where Turkey, Georgia, Azerbaijan, and all that is currently located. North
2: of Syria, right. Iraq, and Iran.
0: Actually, we're going to stay on this picture for the patrons. And if you want to join Patreon, you can see what we're shouting about on screen.
2: <laughs> what I'm telling you so- to enhance. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so was a lot of the unification wars mainly... What, that was all terra there's nothing off world in the unification Wars. Other, nothing
2: off world is happening well, yet other than his trip to other mars Other than
0: mars
1: yeah and,
2: right, right. The, trip to and mars. the conquest of luna is kind of a thing
0: yeah yeah luna and that happens
2: and that's kind of like that's like the epilogue in a way
0: uh so with Unification Wars Part 2, we're going to talk more in-depth about the Thunder Warriors. So we're going to kind of circle back and talk more in-depth about the Thunder Warriors. And then we're going to talk about a lot of the genetic programs that the Emperor did. And a lot of that is very tied in with Luna because of the gene rights of Luna.
2: And I'm sure... Which are
0: a whole other organization. Yeah,
2: because Luna fared fairly well during the Age of Strike, yeah. being as isolated as it was and kind of self-sufficient.
0: <laughs> they, they were basically like, let's watch the Blue Marble destroy itself. Right? This is an entertaining Netflix documentary. <laughs> you remember the memes going
2: around during uh during quarantine where it was like aliens like looking looking at Earth or like man season 19 of Earth is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: this is a lot like what Luna was doing during the age of strife.
2: I mean they like, had they had let's, they not, had touch, problems. let's not touch bro. Nobody yeah. nobody yeah. nobody got through unscathed. And Luna gets absolutely
0: Fucked by Abaddon later. So they get theirs. They get,
2: they get what's coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. They get,
0: they <laughs> get theirs. Abaddon pays it back a couple times over.
2: Mm-hmm. All
0: right. So on to the Caucasus, Caucasus wastes, which are located on the current Caucasus Peninsula, which we just told you guys where it was, even though I was an
2: ocean off. A sea off, not an ocean <laughs> off, a sea no, off. No, no. And he a relatively... relatively small sea, okay? In my defense. <laughs> now, Technically, you were on the wrong continent. You're splitting (laughs) hairs. (laughs) Listen, sir,
0: Constantinople was once in Istanbul, okay? But now it's
2: Constantinople. All right. So this
0: techno-barbarian state was under the rule of the Ethanarch. Now, the Ethanarch of the Caucasus wastes is a title. It's not necessarily one person, but... We're going to talk a lot about the last one, so I'm just going to call him the Ethanarch. So he was defeated by the emperor and imprisoned in Maru, that same prison. And the primary imperial force involved was the 18th Legion, Marquis boys, the Salamanders. Yeah. The first open and recorded honors of the 18th was the assault on the Tempest Galleries, which saw the overthrow of the last Ethanarch. The conquest of the Caucasus Wastes was one of the last battles of the Unification Wars, and it had a profound and lasting impression on the 18th Legion, which lasts even to this day. It has nothing to do with their Primarch. While smaller in number than any other force the Emperor had faced, the mutated eugenist oligarchs that ruled the Wastes presented the Emperor's forces with one of their biggest challenges. The Caucasus power came from a stockpile of relic technologies and terrible weapons which dated back to before the age of strife. And their military forces ranged from heavily armored, gene-augmented Ur-Kasasi troops, which were rough analogs to Thunder Warriors, to hosts of narcotically enslaved psychers. Their strongholds were also kilometers under the hollowed-out mountains of the Caucasus wastes and shielded from orbital attacks by a web of near impenetrable shield webs an early attempt at conquest had seen 10,000 thunder warriors and millions of other troops lost, but all the emperor gained was essentially isolating them. So this first battle that he had with them, he was able to keep them locked to the Caucasus peninsula, but he wasn't able to overthrow them, So he moved on when the emperor eventually had time to come back around to cracking this particular nut. He had left nothing to chance. Six entire proto-legions of the Astartes and a massed force of the Legio Custodes with the Emperor leading the, the attack were gathered. The assault was led by the then untested and unproved 18th Legion, a choice the Emperor made even if it raised more than a few eyebrows. Using the newly created termite subterranean boring machines provided by the newly allied Mars delivered The full legion, which was some 20,000 Astartes into what was believed to be a suicide mission to destroy the vast geothermal furnaces of the Athenarchs defenses. So this is one of those cases where like history is overlapping itself. He had to go to Mars to first to get the termite machines. So he goes to Mars, makes the deal. The Mars Martians are like, hey, we got this new burrowing machine. Why don't you test it out? He's like, cool. Let me take that dog. He brings back a couple of them. He's like, all right, cool. Salamanders. I know you guys haven't really been in any fights yet. Here's your first one. Get get there. These artificially cavern, these artificial caverns that held the geothermal furnaces were known colloquially as the Tempest Galleries. Saluting their emperor, the Astartes of the 18th mounted untested Mars borrowing machines and set off. First, technological lines of communication failed, and then even psychers could no longer contact the force. Days passed into weeks, and those weeks started to drag on. The Emperor's forces were waiting outside the shields, ready for them to drop so they could attack, and some of them started to question the abilities of the 18th Legion. The Emperor, at the end, finally said, They shall not fail me. They will return from the fire. Thus it shall ever be. Reports claim that the moment after the Emperor finished speaking these words, Tremors rocked the plains, his grand force waited on, and then the shields collapsed in on themselves. And with that, that is the epic. Emperor's war host <laughs> attacked in force, right? I love the fact that he was like, they shall not fail me, they will return from fire, and thus it shall ever be.
2: And thus it shall ever be. <laughs> and then everything explodes.
0: So as the shields fall, the emperor's war host attacks in force, pulling down the ethanarch, the ethanarch, and dragging him in chains to Kanaba Maru. Of the fate of the eighteenth legion, nothing was known, and they were assumed lost to a man until far from the wastes, a long dormant volcano near Klazotska shattered, and a single termite hauled itself from the rubble, carrying just over a thousand survivors of that original twenty thousand salamander force.
1: Pretty gnarly. I
0: like that. That's yeah. cool. But like it explains the entire ethos and culture of the salamanders to a T. It really does. That, that's what they're doing. De- and, and they're born in fire. They came out of a volcano. Like it's right there.
1: So these weren't like termite assault drills. These were like huge drills. It sounds like. Right. Yeah. Well, we, they also don't specify. Well, they specify that
0: one carried a thousand. So, yeah, they were pretty big.
2: It's a much bigger version.
0: Yeah. yeah. Either that or the termite assault vehicle drilled out of the volcano and there and was a bunch of guys on foot behind it. Right, right. It's, it's kind of unclear as to which happens, but yeah. So Europa, South it's Central Europe. Yeah, probably a little yeah. column A, column B. Europa, South Central Europe. Europa was a powerful techno-barbarian state composed of much of the South Central Continental Europe, including many of the Mediterranean Sea Islands. That's it. That's all you get. You don't get no more. Franck, France. This territory in Western Europe occupied most of the (laughs) Franck. I had to. The way you said it was just so perfect. (laughs) The poison for high Brazil. The poison made specifically for high Brazil. High Brazil's poison. (laughs) And. uh, And we've just bastardized the unification
3: wars.
0: <laughs> the territory. Uh,
3: it's
0: <laughs> this territory in Western Europe occupied most of the territory that made up the ancient nation-state of France. The Frank people were fractious even before the unification and didn't take kindly to invaders. Halvac d'Agros was the last independent ruler of Frank. He led a rebellion against the imperial rule, killing the emperor-appointed territorial governor. The rebellion was centered on the city of Avalroy, but rapidly spread until the force was counted at 50,000 rebels. However, they were mostly unskilled militia. They were defeated at the Battle of Gondre by force of 5,000 imperial troops, including an early generation of the Dusk Raiders Legion. Gyptus, Egypt, a small techno barbarian state located in the northeastern portion of Africa. In Malaysia, the Himalayan Mountains. The greatest and tallest mountain range of old Terra, located well above twenty thousand feet, where the air is too thin to be breathed by unaugmented humans. It was here that an ancient order known as the Sigilites had created a subterranean fortress complex with the goal of preserving what they could of mankind's rich technological and cultural heritage through the age of strife on Terra. They knew it was coming, they set everything up. They gathered stuff. They were like um, Ian Malcolm's character in Book of Eli. They were just gathering everything in Alcatraz. It was from here that the last of their order, Malkador the Sigilite, went forth to find the man who would become the emperor of mankind, seeking to aid the emperor in his coming great works. Malcador offered the Sigilite fortress to the emperor as a place from where he could begin his great work. This would be the base from which the emperor launched the first campaigns of the Unification Wars while the Sigilite Fortress was expanded into what would become known later as the Imperial Dungeons, as well as the vast complex of gene laboratories and other areas of scientific research. Eventually, later on during the unification, the Emperor would spend decades leveling and terraforming the peaks of the Himalayas into a vast plateau, on which he would construct the Imperial Palace. The terraforming also allowed the peaks to become warmer and more oxygen-rich to allow for comfortable human habitation. So this paints a slightly different picture of, you know, a lot of times when they say they leveled the Himalayas into a, into a vast plateau, I'm like, okay, so they, they took it down to like base camp. Well, not base camp level. They took it down to like normal people level. This explanation is like, they took it down to base camp level, which is still really fucking high and really fucking uncomfortable.
2: Oh yeah. Without
0: all this technology.
2: And yet also maybe, maybe, Due to the fact that the atmosphere is all fucked up, maybe because the, all the dense particles are in the lower atmosphere, maybe that that part of the atmosphere is actually more breathable at this point.
0: Yeah, probably. It did say that he did a lot of terraforming. I, and that's another thing. We'll, we'll talk about it more in the reconstruction in episode two, a part two of the unification wars. But the emperor did, as we mentioned in our episode on Holy Terra, a bunch of work to return earth to its former beauty and uh, former state.
1: Isn't there uh, that stuff
0: starting now
1: during the unification War? pictures of like the palace. And then there's like dark clouds below it. Yeah. Like smog.
0: It's still, so the Imperial, well, especially now, But uh, the imperial palace is probably, I would guess. So if you if you think about the tallest peaks of the Himalayas, and this is totally armchair science, armchair geology. If you think about the tallest peaks of the Himalayas, if you were to flatten the majority of them into a single plateau, and you wanted to do it for your like your best bang for your buck, you wouldn't take them down to like ten thousand feet. You take them down to like maybe eighteen or nineteen thousand feet. You'd average because. You'd, 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 find it. It. Yeah. you'd
2: find an average, you'd probably go a little below that, just so that yeah. way you know you're actually a- achieving something. You know, not not a lot below that, but find your average, go a little below, and then lop the tops off the tallest ones, and fill then in the smallest ones in the valleys. The small, yeah. there, there's an equation there where, where everything will balance. So essentially, and- you're bulldozing from the top down until the valleys come back up to meet you, and everything's flat.
0: Yeah, and considering
2: Mount Everest is... Stupid tall. Well, who knows how tall it is after it gets nuked a few times.
0: Well, yeah, considering Mount Everest is 29,000 feet and K2, which is the second tallest, I think, is 28,000 feet, my guess would be that the level plateau... Is probably eighteen or nineteen thousand feet, which is still like you need oxygen. To, you should have oxygen if you're at that altitude.
2: Yeah, you don't need it, but you should have it. It wouldn't surprise me if the emperor chose that to make it harder to attack the palace.
0: Well, the reason the emperor chose it is because the sigilites oh, yeah, had already built and yeah, and basically gave it to him. These are like what you just said, these are mountains that are above the clouds. Well, well, above the lower layer of clouds. There's a layer
2: above them, but yeah.
0: All right. So next up is High Brazil, a techno-barbarian state in Sud Mercia. Well, I'm sorry, Mercia -Mercia.
3: occupying
0: (laughs) (laughs) occupying the ancient territory of Brazil. (laughs) (laughs) It was the most powerful of the Sud Mercia states. (laughs) <laughs> and was one of the last states to fall to the emperor. During those final days, it was ruled by the despot Dalmoth Kine, and when he was defeated, rule passed to Faron Sikar. However, as Sikar was a direct descendant of Kine, Malkadar the Sidirite made sure he would never serve as a High Lord of Terra. The territory was ruled from the Hive City Cluster known as the Planalto with the government being based in the high city of Sao Paulo. Planalto drew its power from a series of massive plasma reactors buried in the heart of the main cluster. These reactors' heat exchangers meant that the cluster's center was caked in thick ice sheets year-round. This 30-kilometer-square area was known as the Winter Fields and acted as a park to those in the area. So that just these plasma reactors are so fucking cold that they put an ice cap in brazil that was 30 square kilometers which is
2: pretty fucking big yeah that's pretty pretty big
0: yeah the military of high brazil was known as the dracos and were allowed to continue their existence even after the establishment of imperial rule the dracos were known to wear green scaled armor and may have made up the imperial regiment known as the Orati Drax, who served alongside the Wordbearer Legion during the Great Crusade.
1: I've noticed a lot of the uh, Space Marines being mentioned are a lot of the Traitor Legions.
2: Yeah, well, so far... imagine that. So far. I mean, uh, so every
0: single one of the 20 Legions had Terran warriors. okay. They had to have Terran warriors. Because essentially... The, uh, the so the primarchs were never supposed to be scattered from Terra,
2: right? Man, that was yeah. Like
1: they were Eldari. supposed to lead from the get go. Yeah, that was Eldari bullcrap, right? They like no, it like was chaos no. and oh, chaos. No, crap.
2: and <laughs> <laughs> the wife, <laughs> the emperor's wife is a bitch. So, so there's a
1: perpetual
2: <laughs> no. it's not the it was the scientists.
0: There's a missing component to the story of the emperor's formation of the primarchs, and that is. Um, yeah, a female perpetual. So you had asked earlier, did the emperor know all this stuff at the beginning? And we had basically said yes. So the emperor had, uh, if you're familiar with the Dune movie, the new Dune movie, you know how Paul keeps having visions of like the jihad raging across the galaxy and his warriors murdering everything and he doesn't want it to happen? Mm. The emperor has that. The emperor knows what's coming. And the emperor knows that he has to take certain steps in order to have the future that's the best for mankind to happen. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's the best geneticist. So he actually had a geneticist who worked with him named Enthra? Analia?: Enalia?
2: Something like that. It's the lady and. In-
0: essentially
1: she's, she's essentially the mother of Marines, right? She's basically yeah. the mother
0: of Marines. And we'll we'll talk about her in our Primark episode, the emperor was formed way, way back in the day by a bunch of perpetuals dying in a ritual to make one boy. That doesn't mean that no perpetuals were born after that. Many perpetuals were born after that, or many perpetuals weren't involved. So the emperor during the unification or pre-unification had kind of gathered a council of perpetuals around him and One of these perpetuals was this gal that we've mentioned in passing, and I I just can't remember her name right now, but she was brought in to help with the genetics program that led to the Thunder Warriors, led to the Genos Warriors, led to the Space Marines, led to the Primarchs. She realized, a lot of the perpetuals during all of this realized that even though the Emperor might have been taking the right steps, he was essentially a megalomaniac. He thinks that only his way is the best way. And being perpetuals, they also had a little bit of this foresight. So they all kind of had different interpretations of what the best ways were. And when they all started working together originally, the emperor kind of listened to them. But as the unification wars progressed, basically every time the emperor took a step and it came out exactly the way that he said it was going to come out, he was validated and his megalomania just grew. He just, you know, that that movie. Every time he was right, he just became more of a supervillain, little by little by little. His brain got bigger, and he started making fun of Brad Pitt. Essentially, she is the last perpetual who is by his side, and she realizes that her sons, because she started to think of them as her sons, the same way that the Emperor refers to them as his sons, she started to feel that they were her sons. And there's a, there's a big difference. The reason I chose those words is important. The emperor refers to the primarchs as his sons because it is a convenient way of establishing a relationship and enforcing his rule. She felt that they were her sons, which is a emotional connection, which has enrichment to it more than my goal is to use you as a tool. And because of that, she sabotaged where they were gonna come out because she wanted them to essentially enjoy some of their life before they became a cog in the war. Oh, a they cog enjoyed in the machine. it. Yeah. They enjoyed it. All right. Oh yeah, they all enjoyed. Yeah. It didn't go badly at all. Now here's what happens: the cabal, which is a completely other organization who has their own fake <laughs> perpetual, who's a human who's running around mucking shit up, has their own agenda and are trying to sabotage the emperor's plans because the cabal basically thinks whether or not this is true or not that if the emperor rises to power 40k will happen and if the emperor doesn't rise to power 40k won't happen essentially the cabal sees two outcomes and one outcome humanity rises to prominence equalizes out Gets to equilibrium with the galaxy. Everybody lives kind of peachy keen. And eventually, several of the races will get together and will fight chaos as a unified front. Or humanity can rise to power for 10,000 years and then the entire galaxy will be destroyed by chaos. And the cabal is like, we don't want option two happening. So they sabotage the emperor. Chaos. Also knows what's going on and sabotages the emperor. So there's three forces that work to basically scatter the primarchs. Essentially, it becomes a clusterfuck. I see. Yeah. Did I answer your original question, or did I just like lore dump for 20 minutes? No, no, yes that actually and yes.
1: No, it it made a lot of sense, and you're saying that the the emperor was looking at it from a logical standpoint, where he needs to establish who he is to to these superhuman genetically modified beings that he and said mom created. Mom felt emotional attachment. Chaos is based off emotion. Uh, chaos also had a hand in it. Plus cabal. Uh, I, I, I feel you. Uh, Erda is her name. Mm. I oh, yeah, wonder, so what, what happened to her?
0: I did. It's unknown. Well, it's part of the siege of terra stuff but i believe it's unknown she just kind of vanishes she also has one of the non-legion space marines who's with her oh like there are space marines that do not belong to any legion essentially and she's protected by one of them who may or may not be a thunder warrior but yeah. Interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll get into uh, John Grammaticon and Erda and all uh, the, the Cabal. All of this stuff will be part of our evolving 30K series as we talk about all this stuff. Because there's actually, there's actually a lot of crazy shit that happens during the Crusade and the Heresy that isn't the stuff that gets kind of talked about all the time. There's all of this other shit going on. Because again, the Eldar are watching all of this right after the birth of slanish and going oh fuck they're going to do the same thing again in like oh. in like the span of a thousand years we birth the chaos god and they're going to birth the chaos god we have to stop it like there, there's just all of these things kind of happening at the same time and you know the necrons and the tyranids yeah. <laughs> everybody else not the tyranids <laughs> but i like to say and the tyranids just because the and the tyranids happens a lot Tangent aside of actual lore over, back to the techno-barbarian states. Germania, which is Germany. This is a small techno-barbarian state in the area of the ancient nation state of Germany. Mercia, North America. Mercia was a massive techno-barbarian state made up of hive cities on the Nord-Mercian continent. Basically, it's just a massive set of interconnected manufacturers. Did I did I read Mercia correctly?
2: Mercia, Some, God right. bless. <laughs> Mer- Merica.
0: Written Merica, Mer- but we're supposed to say Mercia.
2: <laughs> no mercia. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Finally, the Nord Africa Conclave of North Africa. This techno-barbarian state occupied much of the northern portion of Africa, which thrived during the age of strife. The Chronicles of Ursh, an ancient text from at least a thousand years before the Unification Wars, speaks of a brutal conflict between the conclaves and the Ursh of Central Asia. We'll talk about the Ursh next time, because the Ursh is what Russia is, essentially. The conclave, the Nord-Afric conclave, was eventually defeated. These texts speak a lot of dark warp powers being used by both sides. And that brings us pretty much to the halfway point of the various techno-barbarian states that are important, most of which are either have roots in or act in an area of Terra where a lot of the gene stock from any of the legions was pulled from. The ones that aren't super important, honestly, are just sort of footnotes. Uh, Mercia being one of the weird explanations and outliers because there's a lot of manufacturing manufacturing that's the word that happens in mercia during the heresy uh, a lot of the weapons that are used and a lot of the defenses they are used are produced in mercia so we know we kind of like know by inference not by direct history if that makes a lot of sense but we right. will continue our exploration of the unification wars next episode before. As we mentioned before, we will take a deeper dive and jump back into Thunder Warriors. We'll also circle back a little bit into a little of the, the origin of the Emperor is probably important. Um, we'll probably talk a little bit about that either next episode or the episode after. But we're, go- we're getting there. We're going to talk about the Primarchs soon. We'll lay out all 18 of them and talk about the two that nobody talks about anymore. We'll give you guys an idea of a little bit of their background, a little bit of their flavor and we'll talk about how they got scattered to the stars, how Erda was involved, how the cabal was involved, how all that stuff that I mentioned earlier was involved. Yeah. This is uh this is the beginning of season three. I think our first faction, faction that we will talk about is going to be the Mechanicus. They're coming up probably in a in a month or two, because we'll we'll have all of this Unification War stuff to talk about first. Or all this 30K stuff to talk about first. But yeah, we're gonna. We're going to jump into it. We're going to get to Space Marines, possibly in year three, guys. (laughs) Even though everybody probably wanted us to get to it in season one. (laughs) Oh, Space Marines! But if you guys want to get in contact with us about the show or share your own short stories, lore questions, or maybe your spooky dookie experiences you've had in real life, you can reach us by email at underthehiveofmadness at gmail.com or jimdarkgaming at gmail.com.
1: You can also reach us through our community on Discord. There we chat about 40K lore, hobby, tactics, a little bit of Age of Sigmar, Warhammer Fantasy Battle, uh, creative writing, video games, role-playing, and a lot more. Uh, Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, the TikToks, or at underthehiveofmadness.com. And uh, feel free to like us, review us, wherever you get your podcast fix. Our typical home is on Spotify and Anchor FM but we are also on apple google audible stitcher and many more you can also support us through
0: patreon at www.patreon.com/under the hive of madness patreon members get access to video podcasts with minimal editing so you can see our beautiful faces I'll follow along with what we're looking at on screen and here are oscar award winning bloopers in real time we expect an oscar by the way nominate us All Patreon levels also get access to our quarterly painting contest, which we're getting into a new one right now. Plus, we have perks at higher levels, so go on over and check all that stuff out. The Hangnail, Uncasking, Devil's Comet, Private Reserve, Amasek all month long. Get a shot in a bolter shell. They even let you take it home for two creds while supplies last. Remember, the hangnail is neutral territory for all hivers, regardless of the color of your rosette. We are the barbarians posed at the gates of reason, the Visigoths they always warned you about. 665.66 UHMR Chemrat Radio. Reminding all of you, Chemrats, hive mice, and some coolies, to keep those dials fixed. Right here, same ratty frequency for a dose of the same ratty ass attitude. Look to the east on the thirteenth day, and you will see them resplendent beneath their bladed, crooked, ratworm sigil. Quake in despair, for the deliverance of the forearmed emperor is neither swift nor painless. Perfect bitching, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs>